Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Phil Tiger. Slacker Hello Slackers and welcome to the Slacker Podcast, uh, a podcast all about music, all about um, incredible artists and the stories that they have coming through and mainly on about 95% of the artists that we have on the Slacker Podcast will play a really early special demo for us as well, sort of like get in there um, on the ground floor to find out what it was like to for that artist to sort of exist at that early point in time. I'm going back through when we started like going weekly on on these and really we've been going since the start of the year. Like this has definitely been a record of a year for um, the amount of podcasts that come out. I think we started in March and then took a little break for a couple of weeks in May and then started again at the end of June and have been going every week ever since. Absolutely killing it. Um, with content, I think a, a lot of that is definitely down to the fact that um, I've been shut in the house and have figured out how I can actually record these on Zoom. Um, a lot of these as well I'm putting up on um, the Slacker YouTube channel, which you can check out, which I'll link to below. Um, last week, uh, we had Jarvis Cocker, who was incredible. The week before that, we had Haim. And the week before that, Leanne Lahavas. Um, so yeah, lots of really, really good ones recently for, for you guys to check out. Um, lots of love to, um, the people who are supporting the, the cause on the, the Patreon. Um, lots of love to, um, Connell Kelly and Peter Hakola, Alexandra, Juliana, Glenn, Brandon, part-time Bob, Patrick, Daniel, Paul, Jiren, Darren, Alan, Sam, Tobias, Narzra, uh, Leanne and A.T., um, thank you very much to to you guys. Like it, it, it definitely makes um, a difference knowing that somebody out there actually thinks that your content is worth contributing to. So um, if you feel like uh, you have been listening to the Slacker podcast for ages, or this is the first time you've been listening to it, and you're like, do you know what? I want to keep these going. Um, then you can do so for as little as two dollars um, a month. And, and it scales up, like, there's lots of different, like, tiers and stuff on there. But from as little as $2 a month, which is, what, like, a pound fifty, um, you can do it. Patreon.com forward slash the Slacker Podcast um, for that. 
Uh, uh, thank you very much. Uh, up now on the on this week's episode, we have a DJ who whose album Drone Logic definitely turned my head. I was in this sort of midst of slowly but surely changing from indie boy status to 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 turn into dance music. I was listening to a lot of like Leon Beinhall and lots of house music around around this time and started dipping my toe a little bit into techno um when that album came out and yeah i've always had a, a, a big place in my heart for for um the album of drone logic which came out in 2013 and daniel avery and i've wanted to get him on the podcast for a while and this year being the most prolific year for him like uh, love and light came out earlier in the year how that didn't get up for a mercury is completely beyond me like i think they completely overlooked that album so bad um they he released um illusions of time sorry illusion of time with alessandro cortini um this year as well and god will we get another record i don't know will it be the holy trinity of 2020 and daniel avery we will only find out um when we speak to the man the myth the master um about so many different things i, I had a great time having a conversation with him and here is the podcast with Daniel Avery in three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the Slacker podcast um, right now, we have uh, Daniel Avery. Hello. Hey, man. How you doing? Very good. Very good. How's things? What's what's going on today? I'm down in my studio. I've been back here for a couple of weeks fully now. But it feels good to be back down here. Where, like, are, are you are you in London? You I'm in London. I'm in a little quiet corner of London, down by the River Lee, uh, right next to the water. Water's right behind me here. It's really, it's been an escape for me. That's nice. Like when you when you first moved to London, like I like I did anyway. Um, you tend to like be in and around the hustle and bustle, and then once you hit thirty, you're like, oh fuck this! I mm-hmm. need to like find somewhere a little bit more quiet. Is that the way with you? Absolutely, yeah. It's quite surprising how many quiet spaces there are in London if you just search them out. Yeah, big time. It's it's. Like, I mean, that's why I, I live in Brighton. Now. I live by the sea. Ah, very nice. I was like, London, you're you're lovely, but kind of want a bit of seaside all about this too. Yeah. Uh, th- thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, we've got so so much to talk about. Um, uh, but I kind of want to just kick in with the the demo straight off the bat, if that's okay. Of course.
that was a demo of Drone Logic um, by Daniel Avery, who's my guest today. And that version, it's it's. I, I love getting these versions sent over to me as the demo form because they never have the original name that they end up being mm-hmm. called. So like this was sent over as all in caps locks noise featuring Kelly MP3. Yeah. Was that the original title of it? The original name. That's the one I sent Errol, the one I sent to Fantasy. Um, we'd already done one uh, EP together. And then I went away. Um, the first EP went really well. And it got an attention that I wasn't really expecting. So I had this uh, new energy about going to the studio. Mm-hmm. And that track I made, I don't always do this, but that track I made specifically with a club in mind and a DJ in mind. I made that track for Andrew Weatherall to play and his club night, A Love From Outer Space, which was kind of based on that sort of um, slow, swaggering, uh, psychedelic music. Yeah. So I thought, let's try and make that tra- a track that goes in for him. And- um, Did he play it? Well, this is. I was fortunate enough that just about a year before that, I'd started working in a studio next door to his in, in Shoreditch. And he would often pop his head around the door, kind of intrigued. And so I, I made that track. And then um, it, it originally just had my voice saying the, the vocals. Errol suggested it might work with a female vocal. So my friend Kelly Lee Owens, who that, that's who the voice Great is. artist, yeah. Yeah, we used to work together in a record shop. And she was just starting out making some music of her own. So she came by, did the vocal, um, sent it to Errol. And that's the version you just heard there. We mixed it together. And I felt I had something. I felt I had something when I was making it. It was interesting going back to listen to the demo because it was a bit more fully formed than I remembered it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it, it didn't have the final magic of it, but it had something to it, I think. And so the, the, the finished mixed version, I was able to hand to Weatherall and um, on a CD. And he called me up the next day and said, that thing you gave me, I played it last night and uh, it was the biggest record of the night. No. So I called... So I called Errol immediately, you know, kind of handshaking, saying, look, this just happened. And that was the point when Errol said, okay, I think it's time we made an album now. And um, and that's that's how Drone Logic, the album, started life from that point. It it was kind of a life-changing track for me. It really, it really was because, like, I mean, it definitely for me was the first time that I was ever aware of your music. Mm. Um, Like, it it broke you into like my sort of musical sphere. but when you had went back and listened to to that demo, like often most people, unless they have a lot of time on their hands, which they have done <laughs> with lockdown, yeah. um, haven't haven't probably heard the demo in quite a long time. Like, what was the 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 going through your head when you were listening to it? Like, what what sort of what was lighting up your synapses when you were sort of going back through it? I remember making it. I made it in a studio, which for some reason had a, a club system set up in it. It was quite a big studio. And so I made the track Water Jump and Drone Logic in a couple of days. They, they both came out really quickly. And I remember having this huge club system and just being able to crank it to stupid volumes. And it was one of those tracks where it was nearly done. And I found myself standing up and sort of moving about the room. It's like, ah, this is doing something to me. You know, this track is connecting with me in a way that I can't quite describe. Um, so it, that's when I heard it, when I heard it back again this week. I did remember that feeling. It, also, that nice, you know, I'm sure everyone says this of um, complete freedom. When no one knows who you are, you have total freedom. 
And whilst I was making it with, you know, some things in mind, I had no expectations of where it could go or how far it could reach. It's a nice feeling to remember that, you know. It's funny you should like, feel like that with that track because that, that track was basically to blame for you not having that feeling ever again. <laughs> it's a great point, right? That was a looking glass moment. Yeah, because uh, once you put something out that's quality and spreads around and people latch on to and become fans of yours, mm. there's expectation on your shoulders then. Some, some people wear it pretty, pretty lightly. It's water off a duck's back and some people are, are, are definitely weighed down by it which are you a bit of both yeah um i still get it's still the thing that most people want to talk about which i i do understand you know most people say and it's generally all positive you know i have so many comments about the best comments i've had over the past few years have all revolved around things like i thought i didn't really like dance music but then someone gave me drone logic and now I go out every week. I've had people say that kind of thing to me. I, I, I can understand that because like I absolutely adore dance music. I love dance music, but I'm not a clubber. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's because I come from some kind of similar background where I had no aspirations to be a DJ. Club culture didn't even figure in my head until way, way later in life. Um, so I think there might be even unconsciously some sort of, you know, fingerprints of that that i've left on on my records um but then of course i mean i don't know if it comes from other people or from myself but drone logic blew up way bigger than i ever thought it would and i've definitely had moments in the past few years where weighed down is a is a bit too heavy an expression but it's had an effect i mean yeah, song for alpha my second album took five years to make i hit every every um cliched um obstacle in the book every hurdle every mm. single one i hear it was, um, it was quite, quite literally the cliched difficult second album it couldn't have been more cliched it was, a, <laughs> it, was it was kind of pathetic at times but um for it to be properly cliched you would have had to have gone away tried to finish it on an island um had yeah to, true had some sort of drug addiction i didn't quite gold it um, yeah um, <laughs> but it wasn't too far. so like taking it um way back to the start like obviously you, you kind of alluded to it but you you know you weren't into like techno uh, or house mm. music or like, like music or anything like you know when, when you just starting out you kind of were more, more an indie kid yeah well it's interesting because i liked a lot of electronic music the first gig i ever saw was a prodigy my dad took them to, to uh, took me to see them when i was 11 oh in born god that's like yeah that's like the biggest like musical road to Damascus moment there, going to see the Prodigy when you're 11 years old. Yeah, the Fat of the Land tour as well. So they were on fire at that point. They mm. ruled the world at that point. We're, we're, and, we're um, about a similar age. I remember I, I heard the um, Prodigy Firestarter on like a Now compilation. Mm. Um, and it like it completely rocked my world. Because that, and I mean, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but still, you know, the Chubb... Was a Chumbawamba track Tub Thumping? I think it was yeah, like yeah. they were like right beside each other on the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a big moment, the Prodigy gig. Well, it was, but then, and I liked a lot of that music at the time, you know, Chemical Brothers and Underworld, but I just didn't really, I didn't really equate that with clubbing or, or I didn't really understand what it was. I just liked it as, as music. Really, the first music that I kind of I grabbed onto with both hands was guitar music. Um, so that's yeah. I was definitely that was definitely my uh, my first r- true love. 
were those like a American style guitar bands or a British style guitar bands? Because there's like such a massive difference at, at like at that age. Um, well, at first, my dad got me onto things like Black Sabbath, and so from at a really early age. So uh, then I discovered things like Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins, and and then things like Deftones, and that really was my first true love. So American stuff at first. Yeah. Um, I mean, the American then, stuff wouldn't have existed without the British stuff. But like, I mean, no. but with, when it comes to Sabbath, I don't think there's a better riff-oriented band out there. Than no, Sabbath. I agree. I agree. It's and never you, been bettered. No, you can take take your Zeppelins or take your Metallicas or whatever, but you, you actually go deep deep into the albums of Metallica. There's so many riffs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's really where it all began. And then, but then from there, of course things like Joy Division and New Order and, and, and that more, I guess, more indie-leaning side of stuff really uh, took hold. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash spoken today. And it, and, it, and it was the case for a long time, really. Um, it wasn't really until, I don't, can't really remember, but like much later into my teenage years that electronic music became like a, I don't know, I saw the lights with it much later on. Yeah, like you—you you sound like you were a proper moody kid. Like if like, probably was, yeah. From your music collection, like I it probably like, was. Yeah, yeah. You, you probably had a, like a big fringe and like a wore a a, a big coat pretty much all year. I love black clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever walk around with poetry books in your sort of back? I never went that far, mate. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was just testing the water. <laughs> Not quite that far. Um, I did an English degree though, so maybe that's where that I came out. 
I, I did like half an English degree at media studies. So like maybe mm-hmm. I think I probably did walk about at one point with a poetry book in my pocket. Do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was probably like yeah. for a couple of months before I caught myself mm. on. Um, were you like were you like more of the nerdy sort of kid at school or were you more of the sporty kid or were you sort of somewhere in the middle? I was not the sporty kid, but I wasn't really the nerdy kid either. I was just a quiet type, you know. I I worked hard at school when I got my head down, but but I always knew that uh, I couldn't see myself staying in some kind of academic lane. I knew once once the love of music took hold, I, I knew pretty much instantly that some way or another I was going to get involved in it. Not necessarily making music at all, just being in it somehow. Were you supported with that, like um, that idea when you were starting out like because obviously it's hard for parents to be able to go oh my son wants to work in music well my dad loved it my dad was and is like an enormous music head Mm. um so you know my i started djing when i was 18 and about the same time i worked in a record shop and then when i moved to london i kept djing and um, I worked in music events and putting on bands and stuff and and then worked in another record shop. So it's all, it's kind of all I've ever really done as a job. Yeah. Um and they've always yeah, I've always been supported. It's it's never been an issue, that's for sure. What sort of stuff are you playing at eighteen? Well, um I I found a club in Bournemouth that uh, it was called Project Mayhem that happened every Thursday night. That that dates it. That that name, that Fight Club name. Um, Project Mayhem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and that that was a club that was run by this guy called Matt, who also worked in the coolest little record shop in town. And he his whole philosophy was it's an it's kind of an alternative night, and was keen to specify that it wasn't just a, a guitar indie night. So he would play, you would go in and you might hear an ESG record or a Stooges record, but then again, he would play some early warp stuff or like a Kraftwerk record or, or a lot of the electric clash that was happening around that time. And I don't really know exactly how it happened, but I was just hanging about so much and hanging about in a record shop so much that he was looking for a warm up DJ. And I walked into the record shop one day and he put a sign up saying warm up DJ wanted for, uh, for Project Mayhem. And, um, I uh, up until that moment I had no idea I wanted to be a DJ and I mean zero I didn't even know what it was really but I can't really describe that feeling of when I walked in and saw that sign I've never felt anything stronger in my life a desire to talk to him and a desire to get that job Mm. I can't describe it even now I don't really know where that came from and and I did I got it we sat um I used to play the first hour uh, every week for, for no money and um, just a couple of drinks and it just became I became addicted to it instantly so I was playing all of those things I just mentioned it, it, he encouraged stuff across the board um, you know he could play a Boards of Canada record or he could play an early block party record or whatever you know that sort of thing it was, it was all the idea that it all kind of fit together somehow I like the sound of that indie club because I, I mean I, I've cut my teeth DJing at indie clubs from this, but the same age as you, mm. um, and like I've ran several Panic, Freak the Bag, Rocket mm-hmm. Eighty Eight, Love, what was the what, what was the other one called? Oh God, Love Buzz. Uh, yeah, there was a, <laughs> there was tons, right? 
but the, the music policy when you'd have a couple of DJs at an indie club was always quite hilarious because yeah. one person's idea of what a good set is is the opposite of the other. So like, That's, yeah, so yeah, you would have a lot of people coming over going, turn that over, like just yeah, get that off. Did you did you have that or were you the person that did that? Well, I think because Matt, the guy who ran it, was so strict with the sort of keeping it eclectic, then it was never a problem for me. But I remember we had this conversation and something that kind of, I guess, I guess pushed me towards electronic music further was, I remember getting quite bored early on of a dance floor being so fickle in an indie club and it being full one minute and then you playing something that's a bit too new or a bit too less filled and it being empty again. <laughs> so true. Though. Yeah. And, and I remember when I first started, I went to my, I went to Ibiza in the same year. So this all happened so quickly. I went to Ibiza kind of just by chance with some school friends. Um, and I remember walking into the clubs there, not really knowing that much about them, but being sort of mystified that people were dancing to records they'd never heard before. And that just felt incredibly exciting straight away. And, and sort of the opposite was true to an, then, you know, the opposite was um, true of an indie club where it was the big records that kept people there. But in, a, in, a, in the best uh, dance music clubs, it's records that no one has heard and the brand new stuff is the stuff that people are searching for. Or, at least, you know, that's what happens in the good ones anyway. And um, that's always been way more exciting to me. Yeah, no, I I feel that because like I mean I stopped DJing at, at indie clubs like pretty early on as well because I got a little bit bored of like people wanting to hear the same old tracks. Yeah, I mean that doesn't like as like and like on the radio, the idea of playing the same track more than three or four times ever, oh, yeah, is just boring. Do you know you need to yeah. keep, you need you're a shark you need to keep on swimming or you're just gonna mm-hmm. die in a retro filled yeah landfill or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, like, I mean, what do you think of like Shazam and stuff like that in a, in, in a club? Like, cause it, you, like, obviously you're talking about spending a long time picking your records and getting them together. But when you see people in track ID and cause I'm not much of a clubber, so I, I, I don't really see that side of it that much, but mm-hmm. I know if I was in a club and heard a song I liked, I, I, it would kill me not knowing what it is. Well, I, I've got no problem with it because I've always been that person who, if I, if I felt comfortable enough, would go up to the DJ and say, what's this? And want to know about it and want to talk about it. Mm. Shazam might be a bit easy, but I get, I get the idea of it. So it doesn't bother me. I'm, in, in a way, I feel quite proud if I see people doing it when I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no, but there's no better sort of... Oh, well, there, I was going to say, there's no better way of seeing that you're doing a good thing, but people dancing and enjoying themselves. Yeah, 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 that's quite important. <laughs> yeah. Much better. Yeah. Um, so like playing in playing in London and playing in Fabric, that was kind of like your big first break, wasn't it? For yeah, when I moved to London, I got they gave Fabric gave me an opportunity pretty early on, you know, and no one knew who I was, but again, I was able to. How did they do that? Like, were you just like super like sweet talking or like? They no, just... I've never been sweet. I've never been able to do that sweet talking thing. I think I've always just been <laughs> someone who hangs about fair, you know, a fair amount and. Um, there was a night called Killamall in London, which I I joined pretty quickly when I moved to London, which was again was kind of similar to the thing in Bournemouth. There was a a sort of an indie-ish night that played well, that had bands play live, but then would also play club records later on as the night went on. And I kind of joined that fold quite quickly. 
and they started doing their night at fabric and so again just from hanging about they said we know we need someone to open room one for the first hour or hour and a half and they wanted a trusted pair of hands and i think because i liked playing slightly more obscure records and at that point you know i wasn't bothered about being a peak time dj i just wanted to be a sort of interesting dj they let me have that first slot and it just went from there really and i was only i was young i was early 2022 or something and um yeah they gave me a chance and it just kind of went from there that's wicked like i think everybody in any profession who's listening to this right now will have at least at some point seen or hopefully it'll have happened to them or they've had a leg up by somebody yeah it is really important to like especially those like people in their early 20s that like somebody a little bit older can sort of jump in and go here's a here's a helping hand you know yeah absolutely they're so important and i'm i'm thankful for all of them fabric i know the relationship with fabric went on that a few years a few years later they again you know i was still an extremely new name and no no one really knew who i was no fucking knew who i was and they gave me the opportunity to mix one of their fabric live cds um i, I believe someone dropped out last minute and they said well you know Dan's been hanging around and is, <laughs> and is doing a good job and yeah. and is starting to make a name for himself. So let's give him a chance. And it's those chances, you know. I feel like I've had several of them that I'm so thankful for. Mm. You know? Yeah, definitely. Like they're, 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 they are so important. When when you were approached to like do the the fabric life mix, you must have been shitting yourself. Like, did you do it oh, live? Did you do it in like? Did you build no, it? I, like, how did yeah, you I just it took me a long time, but. But I felt I was at that point. I felt because this was a you know I've been in London a few years and I and I just started sending demos to Errol for Fantasy, which he was liking, and I believe I just signed to Fantasy around that time. So I felt like I had some sort of momentum. I was shitting myself. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. um, but I felt like I maybe had something to to contribute here. Um, I felt yeah, it was it was a tough one, but it's still one of my favourite mixes. I still love that one. It's quite an honest mix, I think, if nothing else. What's what's it called? I want to. Oh, I haven't listened it's to it. Fabric Live sixty six. Sixty six. Yeah, there's number sixty six. Yeah. Cool number to have. Um, yeah. It, so the reason, that you, like, I mean, you had like a mentorship sort of thing with like Errol Alkin. I'm sure it's probably, like mm. still going. I don't know, but um, is that because like he kind of comes from things? He comes to to dance music from a a slightly indie table as well like you, you you both have come you're in that sort of venn diagram yeah well that that's bang on the two characters i guess need to go back quite far but you know when i was growing up in bournemouth and when i say i had no interest in what clubbing might be it's because someone like bournemouth which is like a it can be a pretty tacky place and full of stag parties and hen parties. And I just thought clubbing was for idiots or for people who I had no connection with, you know, just not, not my kind of people, you know, and it wasn't until I've discovered characters like Errol and like Weatherall who seems like outsiders to it. They, they came from a different place, you know, and I felt that they had similar reference points to me. And it just felt like Errol was e- definitely without question the first dj who i saw from the crowd who i thought maybe i could do this you know maybe i could offer something to this world 
because I was obsessed with his club night trash, which was a you know indie alternative night way before I ever went there. And how can you get obsessed with it before you go there? Like, like, how, like what, in what way? Well, I I think that was one of the the trash website was amazing. Yeah, the for, the forum was really really active. They'd do a radio show once a month, playing all the new stuff they were playing in a the club. Their DJ charts. Do you remember? I remember at that point, DJ charts being a huge thing. Every time someone I respected putting up a new chart, here's 10 new things that I'm digging and supporting. That felt like an incredibly exciting thing. It's probably not the case anymore, but yeah, I don't, but back I, then I don't see it happen as much anymore. What sort of music was were, were, like, would they be posting about on the forums? Was it like, I'd imagine it was probably all like French electronic. <laughs> right. Well, there was some of that, but it was interesting because it was everything. It was, it was like the newest, let's say the newest uh, strokes demo, or it was the newest uh, Felix the house cat electronic track or, or, but then they'd be playing, old can records you know all all at the same time and to be able to draw a line between all of those things Errol I think was the master of it and you know and so yeah it felt like an immediate connection way before I even knew him you know yeah it's just felt natural ever since I think that 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 man has inspired more DJs than he probably is aware of I think so with um, I used to write for a magazine called Alternative Ulster, like AU, mm-hmm. and I used to like do some reviews when I was like seventeen or eighteen. I used to write some stuff, and I, I would go to their club nights and all the rest of it. But the guy who was the editor was obsessed with Errol Alkin, and his mm-hmm. style of DJing was quite similar. Like mm-hmm. they would play, they would play the same sort of records. But he then sort of taught me to DJ because I became his understudy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like I didn't like have the same. Uh, fascination with Errol Alkin at that stage like mm-hmm. what I learned off him who learned off Errol mm-hmm. so like you know, like there's that de- there's definitely like a six degrees thing uh, of, of yeah he's out there that have a lot to um and he's like he's come back he's like he released a record a couple of years ago I absolutely fucking loved him it's absolutely gone out of my mind now because I played it loads and anyway, I it'll come back I always hate like hit that when it comes back mm-hmm. um but yeah, so like learning to DJ, when did you actually get like skillful at, at DJing? Like, or was that something uh, with? Like, did you become techie? Uh, well, it was just from doing that warm up set for a few years. But I would always go down, you know, an hour or two early just to try and get some practice in. I don't know. It took a long time, you know, a long time. I don't know when. It just. Uh, this is a, a cheesy uh, answer that I'm sure every fucking DJ gives, but but really, I think the tech, technical side of DJing is so far down the list of important things. It is just about I want a DJ to be a safe pair of hands, and for me, that's picking the right records, uh, creating a world that you want to be a part of, um, kind of making the outside world seem a bit. Uh, I don't know, just making the outside world disappear for the, the time they're playing. And then technical skill is important, but th- there's too much importance placed on it, in my opinion. And it's got worse over the last few years with so many streams online and you've just got dweebs in their bedroom, like picking out every like minor hiccup in a, in a DJ set. <laughs> See, um, this, is, this is like music to my ears because like I always like DJed off a controller just something mm. because I couldn't practice with anything at home um, and I only moved off the controller like 
<laughs> after like 10 years of DJing. Mm. So I'd turn up to the clubs and it would really fuck off with DJs that were coming, that were before mm-hmm. or after me because I'd like plug out one of their CDJs and plug mine mm-hmm. in. <laughs> um, but I just, like, my theory was just like, it doesn't matter how it comes out as long as it's good. Of like, course, absolutely. You know I mean? It doesn't matter how, how you do it. Yeah, I saw, Mog- saw a Mogwai DJ at Fabric off one iPod. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, Mogwai are so like experimental and stuff that they could just prove, say that that's like a, a, yeah. a template. Like that's like a good. It made perfect sense at the time. <laughs> How long ago was that? It must have been around, I don't know, 2008 or something like that. That sounds about right because around about that time, there was a real. I think Skins had done it, right? Where they, they yeah. had filmed uh, an iPod party, and mm-hmm. there was a there was a space. You'll have, you'll have known a bit more this, about this than me because you like were living in London. I was living back in Oma, but like <laughs> people would like go up to an iPod dock and like just put their iPod on it and, and yeah, like, how fucking awful does that? Yeah. Sound? Like, <laughs> pretty bad yeah <laughs> um so the, the the stop making me was like was mm. that the first alias that you went under yeah it was, that was when i first well i did about a year or two with no dj name and then that just was literally just a a, a silly joke name a few of us said well if we're going to put names on a flyer let's come up with something um it's just from some quotes um i just think of that era as my first band really um i didn't really I, I was i was doing fine as a dj but it was my first foray into making some kind of production for a club it was still i was still so fresh to it um that yeah i i think of it as my first band i'm i don't have loads of pride about what i did back then it wasn't really until it's about 2011 2012 and i was working in a record shop called pure groove here and that record shop shut for the final time. And that was really when the, the crossroads in my life were presented to me. And it was at that moment where I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, I can either try and get another record shop job, which is going to be hard and keep selling other people's records, or I can really try and make my own, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that was the moment where I thought, okay, just start using your real name and let's do this. If we're going to make a go of it, then let's make a go of it. Like no jokes anymore. This has to be a serious endeavor. Did you ever put on your own records at the record shop to test it out to see if anybody would buy it? It was a bit before that really. Um, no, I never quite had that chance. Have you ever been in a record shop when your record shop, when your records been playing? Yeah. And I've had people like put a record on when they've noticed me walk in, which is, oh. I don't, don't know what you meant to do with that. Just walk out again. You, I mean, I, I've seen it happen. I've yeah. made it happen. Actually, there was a, there was a band <laughs> that came in, and they're like, our, my hometown's very small, and they're the, the mm. only famous band in it. And I put all, put the record on as soon as they came in, and the guy literally did the Grandpa Simpson, just walked in, <laughs> and put it back out again. Um, like we're working with um, like uh, Errol Alkin and and mm. having somebody like Andrew Weatherall to call on. Like you've you've kind of were blessed with. Uh, like yeah. having like having like Alex Ferguson and <laughs> yeah and like Bill Shankly as your managers. Do you know what I mean? I was. I feel I couldn't be more fortunate, really. Um. What 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 did sort of like what le- lessons did you learn f- about making records from from Andrew? Um. Sim- exa- just simply do exactly what the fuck you want, and 
um, don't take notice of any fads or trends because they're completely man-made and kind of pathetic at the end of the day because uh, you know he, he would always say trends come and go so quickly but if you can stand back at the end of the day and be proud of something you've made even if no one likes it at the time then then you've won or at least you can't be beaten mm. um really that was the main one the other thing that i learned from being in the studio next door to his is i've never seen anyone consider uh, like consume as much art as them just dive headfirst into art he would come into the studio every day like an office job um and every single day even if he wasn't making music he would be sat listening to records all day or reading books or making art prints or every day was about creating and consuming art and it being a it being, it being nothing more than a personal thing for him. He wasn't, you, I never got the impression from Andrew that he was trying to do anything that would satisfy anyone but himself. And was inspiring up, you know, right up until the end. Every, if you think, if you look back at his career, he did something significant every single year, whether it was starting a new club night or, or a festival or creating a new project, making some kind of album, remixing, like making a, a remix that's going to last forever, or, you know. Just an amazing, amazing figure to be around. Like that. Yeah, that, that level of productivity is, um, keep, really keeps you inspired, I think. Like, because I, I, like, I work at Radio 1 and I've got people mm. like Annie Mack, like, mm. who, <laughs> who just is a consistent bulldozer of like projects yeah. and, and yeah. ideas and things. And like, I, you, you always like, I mean, I've got lots of projects, lots of different things I'm always starting, but having somebody like that, you're just like, right, well, I just got to keep working. You got to keep working hard. Just keep doing it. Yeah. 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 How is, um, what is your like opinion on, on, on remixes, both like of your songs? Have you ever heard a remix of your song where you've like <laughs> been like, oh, no, um, no. no, I don't think I have. Um, I, I mean, I'm always pretty careful with who I ask to do something, but I really like him. I, I really <laughs> like... Surely people can just gra- grab it and like they can remix. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, okay, let me take that back. I've heard a few like fan-made, like unofficial ones that I've just had to politely sort of push to one side. But, um, yeah. but all the official ones have been amazing. I, I mean, I always, I really am quite fascinated by the idea of taking taking someone else's idea and and putting them through your lens and your filter and um and it just coming out entirely different i like it when remixes come out entirely different from the original you know mm, big time um like i i know that you're not a fan and, and nor am i of of pigeonhole music like a mm. like you know because they're i find dance music generally quite hard to get into at the very start which almost turned me off it because there was people that would like say oh, i only listen to tech house yeah right i only listen to uh deep house or i only listen to techno or whatever and that was like well i don't want to fucking hang about with somebody or speak to somebody oh, same, yeah. the one, one type of music but then if somebody was to level to you asking you what your music sounds like 
like how mm. how do you describe it like say i'm your auntie or or, mm. or somebody and i'm like going so what is your music like obviously the answer would be to listen to it but how how would mm. you describe it or can you i don't know i don't know i mean it, ha- it has quite a, a big footing in techno but then again only half my recorded stuff is made for clubs you know so much of it is has way more influence from like ambient music and drone music and um i mean what i would say that i think it takes most of it takes something from techno whether that's the hypnotic repetition or the the sort of booming reverb or that sort of psychedelic uh you know vein running through it Mm. but i don't know i don't know how you describe it um what I hope it sounds like, because my favorite electronic music is early warp stuff, Aphex, Orteca, or Craftwork, or remixes like Villa Lobos or someone like that. It's it's all yeah. electronic. It's all it's all like robot music, but it has a real human soul to it, some kind of human pulse to it. So if anything, that's what I hope. I probably wouldn't say that to my auntie, but that's what I hope it. I hope it has something of that to it, you know. I feel like there's a, a people that might be a little bit jealous of of where I'm at right now because I because I never got into the Apex Twin stuff till quite mm. late. Like I've I told a friend of mine that I've been listening to a lot of his ambient stuff uh, for the first time, and wow, I'm jealous of that. Yeah, he re, he responded like. I was watching Sopranos for the first time. I was just about to say it's like Sopranos. Yeah. Do you, do you know what? Well, yeah. yeah, it's industry standard for quality, like in mm. terms of like ambient music. Um, and I mean, I've been slipping some into Radio One. Like, mm. <laughs> it'll not be the first time that like mm. uh, that uh, FX One will have been played on Radio One. There's that great picture of him and John Peel. Yeah. Sitting out in a field somewhere. I love that mm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a sort of communal friend, uh, Paul Fanning. Oh really? I yeah. didn't know that. Paul's Paul's a very good friend of mine. He's at my wedding, and like we've ah. good old buddies going back. So I I messaged Paul this morning. I was like, I'm I'm interviewing your mate today. Like, mm. what what should I ask him? Go on. <laughs> and, and this, I mean, I, if if I can ever find like a a sort of um, a communal person involved, I'll always, I'll always mm. message him and ask not not for the dirt, like, but just ask for some questions. And he mm. said you're obsessed with the 1975. Oh wow! Yeah, do you know what? I thought you might ask me about this. Well, I, but I didn't. I I don't think is it written anywhere that you are. But <laughs> I've probably tweeted about him a few times. Maybe yeah. You went through your Twitter, um. But let's let's talk about that because I'm. I mean, I I'm kind of with you on that. Like I I enjoy mm. the 1975 for the lack of fucks that they give. Yeah, that's the main thing for me. They're, I think they are. Well, one, I think they're also a band who don't care about zeitgeist or what's cool or popular at the time particularly you know they're influenced by it but they're not trying to be anything other you get the impression that they couldn't really sound any other way they just happen to you know that's just how they sound and um i like how they are a a band with really good pop songs but then they're also a real album band so if you listen deeply to them their albums are filled with uh, bits of electronica or ambient stuff or just completely left field turns all the time um i think matt healy is like a old-fashioned rock star in that he uh 
is sort of kind of making mistakes in public, but then learning from them and that becoming part of their makeup. And he knows that he's not really like a, a sort of moral gatekeeper as some pop stars pretend to be, but instead he's someone, he's just a real human with imperfections who, who learns from them and, and that becomes part of the art. Um, I just think they're, I just think they're a really interesting modern band. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see more like them, you know. I, I, I totally agree. And it's interesting you should bring up that point of like um, the, the imperfections because they are one of the bands that like do, like because he is, a, so uh, like Maddie as a, as a sort of, in a way as a front man is so passionate about talking about so many things that he often veers down the wrong side of the road. Yeah, and gets called out for it and puts his hands up and manages to move forward in a way that most other people can't. Mm-hmm. But it's one of these things as well where it's like you can say anything you like about a band's music, but the one thing you can't, if, if someone's honest, then you can't, then the worst you can say about them is that you don't like it. You know, like you just get the impression that everything they do is earnest and honest. And like you said, you know mistakes can be made and but then if you but if you're honest about it then you can just move forward um you know i don't want to dwell too much on this sort of imperfection side of things because that's clearly only a small part of who they are i just <laughs> think they're i just think they're a really good band and 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 i think quite an important band at the moment as well there's not enough like them in my opinion i've heard some of the like the the electronic stuff um and i like some of the electronic stuff but i think it's interesting stuff that they Me do too, with the yeah. like it is it is yeah. actually quality like they're not just throwing it in there for the sake of it and then yeah. like you know me being like the radiohead fan that that i am was thinking yeah sure. I, I wonder would they ever like do a kid a style electronic record but then i sort of caught myself on and was like that band is too musically fidgety to be able to sit down and do one electronic record like yeah, it's true there would be a folk album in there and <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah yeah but that's why i like them they, they yeah they sure keep things yeah. going are yeah. you are you a clubber yourself like are you one of these people that goes and djs and and splits or are you like an actual no i love clubs i love going to clubs whenever i can even if i'm not playing i love going to them it, ca- it came to me kind of late well later than most people but uh, I absolutely love it. Yeah. What makes a good club? Like, like, where would your ideal club be, or where mm. is? Well, I guess I mentioned it earlier, sort of when it came to techno. But I like any club where it feels like, for the time you're in it, the outside world just seems irrelevant, and you can be with your best mates and you can make memories in there and you just get lost inside it really. Mm. And, and they feel safe and friendly and they feel like places of discovery. You're, you know, here's my ideal club. You walk in, all your best pals are there. You, you don't know a single record played that night, but every single one blows your mind. You, you, you walk out of there with new memories and new friends and that night's going to stay with you forever. And I think it's a unique thing to clubbing, that experience. And I, I completely love it for it. Can you enjoy it the same way as a punter as you can DJ? And like, uh, like obviously it's two different methods of enjoyment. Mm. Like you're bringing the enjoyment and I'm sure enjoying it yourself in one way, but also concentrating on making sure everybody else is having a good time. 
is it just yeah. much purer and freer just to be there <laughs> yeah in a, in a way it is but but then when for me as a dj the best clubs have this real communal feel to them where the dj is important but everyone in there is important the crowd plays an important crucial part of of it of that energy the energy feeds between the two and so yeah i mean i love both for i guess similar reasons you've been prolific as fuck this year like <laughs> yeah. or, or at least maybe you were prolific as fuck last year but like you're definitely prolific right now with um two releases mm. um out at, out at the same time yeah. has this has this been a product of 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 lockdown and, and, and the spare time or has this been like uh, something that's been long in the making a uh, bit of both so the collaboration with Alessandro Cortini, the record's called Illusion of Time. That was, that's been in the works for a couple of years and then just by chance came out just as the lockdown started really. And it kind of, it fit pretty well, like in a kind of cosmic way. A lot of people said to us, you know, this record's really helped us through these early strange days, you know. Um, so that, that was amazing. But then when I had all this time, it's the first chance I've had to sit down I think lots of people have said this first chance I've had to sit down on my own for years probably yeah and I've been in the studio a lot the past few years and I just had this whole load of tracks in front of me and I was going to start putting together a 12 inch but then I just thought I have way more than just a club 12 inch here and it's one of those things where again I can't quite describe it but this record seemed to seem to form in front of me i had all this stuff it all worked perfectly together and i thought this deserves to be an album and so love and light happened and because it happened so quickly and because this whole time is so strange we just whacked it out pretty much the second it was done it was it came out a few weeks after it was all finalized um never happens <laughs> yeah yeah it, it all just felt kind of straightforward and like natural like that so mm. i'm so proud of both of them and i think they share something, but they they are different records. And yeah, I mean, two of my favorite releases I've ever done easily. With releasing a record as like a as a DJ and a producer, it's much it's much different than releasing a record as a say like a, a pop star or mm. a rock band. Whereas mm. you have to go on tour and you have to do the eighteen yeah. months. When you're like in your profession, you're on tour pretty much like all year round, every weekend, right? Mm. Like, yeah. Does the not DJ and make a difference in promotion of a record like this or? Um, well, I think it's taught me that you don't need to be on that wheel as much as we all think, you know, yeah. it's uh, because it's just continuous. You just kind of, you stay on it, you know? Um, I don't think I'll go back to that extent of travel when I, when we do start up again what 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 is a bad year or sorry not a bad year like what is a good year for for touring but maybe like a, a hectic amount like like i've always imagined and i've i've i know a lot of djs as well at at your level who who would generally be out like every weekend for for the whole year yeah yeah that's what it feel can feel like i look back at when song for alpha came out in 2018 that was my busiest year ever I look back at it now and it's fucking insanity what I was doing. Like, I don't even know how I was standing by the end of the year. I There was one weekend where I played two gigs in Europe. I went straight to 
America. I supported Nine Inch Nails on tour in America. Um, and I played the final gig there. Um, I came off stage. The second I came off stage, I had to go straight to the airport, flew to Heathrow, drove to Manchester to, to play a curated, I curated a warehouse project in Manchester on no sleep for any of it. And then I don't know how I... I loved it. It was. A, I wouldn't change anything about it, but I wouldn't do it again to that extent because fuck knows what it was doing to my health. You know. Yeah, it can't, it can't be good for you. Also, like, I'd, you probably needed days to decompress after listening to Trent Reznor for for a, couple, mm. for a little while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he can yeah, be pretty true. intense, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I think like that's that's pretty much like where, where we're at. I want the, the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about is just a sort of more personal question because I'm, I'm a, like a, a radio DJ, but I saw you sitting in for Marianne Hobbs and sex music. Mm. Um, and I was wondering like how you found that process. Like, have you ever done radio DJing before and how you enjoyed it? I really like doing it. I had an NTS show for a year uh, and I did a bit on rinse before that. But it's never really been my my main thing. But I've always been fascinated with radio DJs. And, You've and done the residency, sh- haven't you, on Radio One? No, I never did that. No, I never did that one. Um, Need but to. <laughs> yeah, I would like to do it. You know. Um, Let me make a call. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I, I've always been fascinated with it because really that's how I learn about so much music, and particularly with Marianne because she's a really an, another integral figure in my life. Because when I first massively got into guitar music. I became obsessed with her rock show on Radio One. Yeah. And, and um, the only way to record it, because it was deep into the night, the only way I could record it was get my mini disc player and set it to extended record. And then, and then listen back, I would listen back to it religiously every week. And from there, I discovered her Breeze Block show, which was all this experimental electronic stuff and you know, experimental everything, left field stuff. And I learned so much about it. So... To, to sit in for her was felt like some kind of full circle yeah um yeah i've always been fascinated by it and i i love that that idea get the idea of being in safe hands you know i, I really i like that about radio djs are people going to be able to see you play live are you going to do any like are you into like the idea of doing a live stream or is it are you just going to wait until everything is back and you can see the whites of eyes again um yeah i'm not so sure about a live stream for myself i've done a couple of recorded mixes but there's something about the live stream that feels too i don't know i think going back to this idea of it being like a communal experience and that for me that's one of the main aspects of a club or a live setting mm-hmm. uh i just don't get it from that no offense to anyone who does it but I, no, I, I, I feel that I tried to do I set up a live stream had a green screen and like mm. made it all funky and fucked up looking and weird mm. um, and I did two of them and I was so stressed by the stream dipping in and out and things yeah. being in like my mic or my music being in time that mm. after doing two of them I was just like I can't be asked with a stress yeah. <laughs> mm. I don't blame you <laughs> um daniel thank you so much for giving me your time um thank you, thank you for coming on the podcast and for for playing um that special demo of of drone logic you can now go and text paul and call him an asshole for giving i me will do time. yeah yeah <laughs> cheers, man. thanks mate cheers
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.